G'day and welcome back to the VFX show. We're back from hiatus because guess what? The movie industry is opening up again and I'm joined by my regular cohorts, Matt Wallen and Jason Diamond. Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm doing pretty good. It's it's raining really hard here. There's a thunder and lightning outside. It's uh, 9.30 at night and uh, hopefully I won't get uh, electrocuted or have my power go out. Well, it's obviously the morning here in uh, Sydney, uh, kind of sunny but cold. Well, cold by my standards. How's it like for you, Jason? And how are you? Uh, I'm good. Nice to see you guys again. Uh, I, I'm north of Matt, so I think I'm. Uh, he is my. I'm his future, and he is my past. Uh, from for the. Well, you storm. say that, but I'm all of your futures because it's, it's already true. Friday. Whoa. It's true. I, I mean, in a weather sense, but but you are always temporarily our. Our grandfather, yes. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant in age. With your oh, no, I'm, future. No, I meant in. Uh, <laughs> I meant only in weather patterns. No, I speak only in your grandfather in age as well. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> we are funny to be talking about time and uh, age. We are here to talk about Loki, the latest of the uh, Disney Plus Marvel television uh, shows, which um, is like a joy to be talking about it at a couple of levels. But I think there's obviously the visual effects. We'll get into that. There's lovely kind of plot points but also there's this uh overriding aspect of marvel having gone into producing these rather ambitious tv shows that are actually nothing like what you'd consider a uh agents of shield level tv show or a uh, um you know a daredevil tv show these are really proper marvel uh programs at least that's how i perceive them but jason do you see these as being like sort of valid parts of the MCU? Or do you see them as being TV shows? Uh, I mean, MCTVU. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean that derogatorily. I, I love series. I think we talk about a lot of series uh, here. I think it's a great expansion of the material. Uh, I thought WandaVision did that really well in really, you know, starting to tie, tie up all these things and set up the other movies that they can do in so much granular detail now. Uh, as opposed to cramming it into a two plus hour movie, which sometimes is fine depending on the character. But I, I personally, I'm all about it. Matt, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? That sort of like if a TV show is going to exist in this universe, then it's almost uh, you get this sense of they can't touch anything in the main uh, sort of timeline. I do can use that term properly, given that we're talking about Loki. <laughs> but, but there's a sense that, you know, oh, well, nothing will happen that will break it's a bit like when somebody writes a book in Star Wars and it's like not allowed to, you know, kill off any main characters and like you do anything because it can't break canon. Do you feel like that's where we are with this? Or do you feel like these shows are actually pushing forward the kind of characters and for that matter, the sort of universal arc? Well, uh, so, uh, you know, these are great, uh, fun shows for children. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to say it. Like I'm, I, I was thinking about, I knew we were going to talk about this. I watched, I, I watched the uh, three, I had seen the first episode. I watched the other three that are available. The first four episodes are all that's available right now. And I watched them today. And uh, I did watch some of the WandaVision television show. Um, I have seen, I think, I'm not actually sure. I think I've seen all the Marvel movies mostly for this show, I think. Um, I, I think I'm at a point 
which is like an unpopular place to arrive at. And this might be speaking in part to my, to my age and, and things of that nature too. But like, I, I love, I love that these TV shows and these movies, I think these big franchise movies that Disney owns now, the star Wars properties, the Marvel properties, but I'm kind of, I feel like I'm so oversaturated. I'm kind of, I'm sort of tired of watching them. I'm not that interested anymore in, I, I feel like I can see the writer's room at work in every episode and I can see like, oh, isn't that clever? Like this is some arcane piece of knowledge from some obscure, like, you know, canonical uh, book or ancillary series that's being drawn into the larger narrative. And I don't know, maybe I, I, I try not to be cynical. I, I love a good, you know, yarn, if you will. But I just feel like I've gotten to the point where I feel like I'm watching McMovies. Like it's like going to McDonald's, you know, it's like totally, it's not really very good for you. Uh, it's <laughs> pretty unhealthy, but, and it's the same thing every time you kind of know what you're going to get. There's little variations like sort of Hugh Howley. Was that the guy's name? The guy who did Legion. What's that dude's name? Oh, the, no. Nate. Um, Noah Holly. There's yeah. sort of Noah Holly esque uh, flavor kind of uh, things yeah, in he, this series and Fargo the previous too, yeah. one. And so it has some of that kind of like, Hey, like this is sort of hip and like, we're getting into this kind of cool groove with this stuff with stylistically and we're exploring these kind of sort of, I, so yes, like, does it matter uh, that they can't do certain things in these TV shows? I mean, not really. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I've sort of feel like I could talk about the visual effects. I could talk about the things that I think are kind of clever, but I, I but at some level I will have to confess yeah. I'm, I'm so, so saturated with this stuff that it kind of bums me out a little. Well, two things. Firstly, like there hasn't been as many Marvel movies because of COVID. So uh, I know, speak, oh, darn, like we missed one, I think, right? There wasn't oh, no, one no, no. last year. They, they pushed back because it's been sort of like two, two a, a year. So, But also the other thing that's, uh, the reason I bring it up is, and I think I've mentioned this several times before, for me, what happened in the matrix films is that I kind of knew that the characters weren't going to die. And so once I knew that it kind of, I just sat back in the seat because, okay, well, there's a whole lot of people attacking Neo. So what, you know what I mean? And then in one scene, they attacked Morpheus. And I was like, wait a second, you could kill off Morpheus inside the franchise. And suddenly I got engaged and led forward. And it was from that moment forward that I realized that it's an inherent problem with these superheroes uh, is that if they can never die and they always win, then there's just less kind of drama in it. Um, did you guys see, uh, what was it, uh, Promising Young Woman? Um, yeah. The, yeah. Mm -hmm. So spoilers, by the way, if you haven't seen that film, I'd totally stop the thing, go and listen to it. But okay, in that they did the opposite, right? They actually killed off the heroine. Uh, mm -hmm. and thus completely defeated any chance of a sequel, but, but it's a bold move when that happens. Um, it's one of the things that impressed me most about game of Thrones, the guy on the poster died at the end of you know, season one. And it was like, wait a second, what? Like when you take away that safety net, mm -hmm. um, it does change the nature of the storytelling. Uh, and I feel like nature of the engagement, I don't know if you'd agree, Jason. No, for sure. I mean, that's always the thing. I mean, we can spoiler alert for, for uh, Loki as well. 
um, you know, in episode three, I think it is when they're stuck on the planet Lamentus that, you know, the, the, the apocalypse is approaching and you're like, but they're, they're, it's episode three. They're not going to kill Loki and, and the, the person they've been searching for the whole time. So I'm just like, to your point, yeah, I'm just like, TikTok. Okay, the thing's getting closer, so it's like a countdown. Like, when's the door going to open up? Oh, there they are. You know what I mean? When's the solution going to happen? So, a hundred percent. I mean, I th- I thought that's what one interesting thing that they kind of did with um with Infinity War and Endgame with the whole like getting rid of fifty percent of the people, which were also superheroes and what have you. Um, and even some of them died. You know, like in the Spider Man or whatever. You know, Tony Stark is dead and what have you. Uh, now we all know those are for contract reasons, not plot reasons. But I mean, you know, we can we can pretend that the plot is why those things happen. Um, but it doesn't bother me that much because they kind of can't do too much about it. I mean, like you can't have a characters that you're building up in a forty movie thing and then just kill half of them for good. I mean, you can when you do the phases like they're doing, but I mean, it's sort of a double edged sword. So. And the second problem that I think that Loki walks into on a plot level is just the inherent issue of uh, when you have a multi-time variant yeah. type plot line, which is, um, you know, they get they get around this. Uh, do they get around it? I don't know. Maybe you guys could answer that. But like, for example, they say, wait a second, I'm not the guy that screwed up the timeline. The Avengers went and screwed up the timeline by going back in time. Why aren't they villains? They goes, oh, no, they're meant to do that. It's like, wait right. a second. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah. You're telling me that some timeline, some time altering, going back and seeing yourself and stuff is fine, but Loki does one jump and it's bad. I mean, it's to me, it's like, um, uh, and then they've done another one. They said, "What? Why don't we just go back to like five minutes before they arrive yeah. here, and then we'll just solve it?" Oh no, no, you can't do that because of techno babble. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> the only film that ever addressed that really, you know, in a humorous way, was actually Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure when they had at the end the climax, and he was like, "You captured me. I would have, except for I won, so I went back in time and hid this gun here." Yeah, uh, but I knew that you went back in time and hid this gun here, so I hid and took the bullets out, and so it goes. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so. Uh, I really love a good uh, time traveling kind of thing when somebody does it in an original fashion, but it is mm-hmm. super uh, full of potholes. And by the way, I used to say I loved Groundhog Day, but if I see one more Groundhog Day movie. Um, yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah, they're just constantly now coming out with this. Uh, somebody's it's gone interesting back that, and- I was going to say, it's interesting that that all of a sudden there's a bunch of lo- you know, single day loop movies that like, yeah, clearly that wasn't like in a zeitgeisty thing that people were just picking up on. Like, it's not, it's not a coordinated effort that everyone's like, let's make nine, you know, loop movies, you know. But, but what's the one? There's one on the moment, there's an action flick one where he just goes back over the same day again and again. And I started watching it and I went, this is just such a faded replica of groundhog day which palm, groundhog palm day springs was great. yeah i think palm springs, palm springs was, was okay i didn't lose it, it for that one it, it was just because new... it yeah and then there's map of tiny perfect things which is like the 18 year old version of that which yeah i i didn't have a problem with because it's more of like teen emotions thing uh one live die repeat well that was i mean that's basically that's that. good i like that one <laughs> oh, it was good. I mean, but it, but it's it speaks to your point though, and I think like on some level, I mean, either it's 
you know, a trend in a certain kind of like fantasy science fiction storytelling, or it's something that connects to, you know, a generation that grew up playing video games now running these writer's rooms too. You know, it's like, there is this kind of aspect of it that feels really connected to that. The one that I was talking about is called Boss Level, and it's oh. not worth watching. It's one of the few movies that I actually couldn't sit through. Like I was like sick, Scott and I, want, I just want to. Yeah. <laughs> no. How dare you? Yeah. Yeah. Also, <laughs> no, like Army of the Dead. Like, we'll, we'll throw Army of the Dead yeah. in that list. <laughs> okay, but anyway, my point is, Palm Strings is kind of nice. But again, once you know that that's what's going on, you kind yeah. of. So anyway, my point is in this. Uh, universe you've now i feel like like there's a level of credibility that they were trying in the early days to kind of master like how is it we could have superheroes in the world and that in of itself has obviously been picked up as a as a uh i think the boys and you know other things have picked Mm -hmm. up this kind of theme of that but but now you get to a point that they're so ridiculous and there's so uh many of them and you'd be like, anytime there's a problem, you'd be like, you know what? We've got a problem with whatever. Just call an Avenger, call a superhero, call somebody that can yeah. fly. You know what I mean? Like it's just, and, and any, and so they, they build a cage for themselves. Like, well, uh, and by the way, they did this in Harry Potter as well, when they had a time jumping pendant that she had. It's like, once that's been introduced, why don't you just use that like all the time? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and also now I can got people that can do anything. Why don't we just get them to fix all of our problems? And, you know, yeah, uh, it's like Lord so of the Rings. Why don't they just call a, the Hawks to, you know, the Eagles to fly into Mount Doom? Exactly. Except if you read the Hobbit, <laughs> which I did to my kid, there's literally a thing in the Hobbit when they pick up, pick them up off the hill, the Eagles come to save them from being yeah. killed by the orcs. And in the book, the Eagles basically say to Gandalf, I'm paraphrasing, like, look, we're going to help you this time, but like, don't be calling us for every, every time you're in a pinch, like figure your shit out. And, and you're like, Oh, that's why they don't help them to Mount doom. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't they're know. Just I just not feel like that generous, you know? Yeah. They're just like, yo, just cause we can fly. And we're like, <laughs> you know, we're Eagles, but this ain't America, bro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so getting back to Marvel for a second, I think that when you have that, you, you sort of discount the action sequences quite a lot. And so what you now have to rely on is either character pieces or comedy or something else. Like I do really look, I'm really, really looking forward to the Thor movie that's just been shot here in Sydney because I'm not there for the action sequences. I'm not there for the yeah. fight sequences. I'm in there for just like incredibly witty dialogue and just, you know, kind mm-hmm. of whatever. And I know that Thor won't die, but I don't care. It's not, it's not like a plot film whereas like you know uh usual suspects is just a masterpiece of plot device and writing so I, I i absolutely love films where i don't know what's going on and the writers manage to construct a beautifully crafted piece of connected mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. stuff but once we get into these things i'm like unless the characters are kind of appealing and and i actually think loki is i think that like um tom Hiddleston tom is Hiddleston, really yeah. so he's really Without him, the show is nothing really to me. It's just he really, well, that's not true, but he's definitely of the. He's engaging. He can carry a, he can carry a film is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I've been super impressed with um, 
with Owen Wilson as well. I, I mean, I like Owen Wilson, but it was yeah in this he's show. Doing his he's thing. just yeah yeah yeah. He they're, plays. They're like, he always plays an Owen Wilson esque character. Yeah, <laughs> but but he's good at that kind of like uh, sort of sardonic, self deprecating, you know, friend role. Like mm-hmm. he's he's got a kind of a dry. And then this kind of earnestness too that he can turn on and off, you know, which I think really but don't you works feel he's in that genuine context. in this? He just seems his acting seems really genuine in this. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Like he seems he's like always Owen Wilson, pretty genuine. Yeah, but genuine. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's definitely uh, like he he plays a certain uh, yeah. set of notes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Can I can I jump into something? Even though it, it, I'm pretty sure it's episode three. I mean, I'm sure we can get into visual effects now, but this isn't even specifically a visual effects thing. Kind of is a bridge. It's a good bridge to go from uh, plot to visual effects. Is uh, in I think yeah, it was episode three where they're on Lamentus and they're about to they're 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 working their way. They see the Ark ship and they're trying to get on it. <clears throat> and there's a set of there's a giant action sequence where they're like, okay, we're here. It's going to take off. There's too many people. Let's she goes, let's go this way. And from that moment, it is 100% a video game level type coverage and action. Like they're like, huh, huh, huh. And even all the action is behind them, like total third person video game. And the CG and or LED walls they're using also gives it that sort of planar nature. And it it's total like action, reaction, action, reaction, like programmatic video game feel mm-hmm. and you know it's like ha 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 snap ha ha move over here and the camera kind of swings around you know and then they look up oh no and then the thing breaks and it was like it took, felt like a, i was like wow this is like really like a video game right now yeah it's like it's like yeah. it's like a kitchen at your local mcdonald's where like you <laughs> drive up and you place your order and then the the machine or the teenagers behind the counter squirt the stuff on to the exact measurements and they wrap it up in a piece of wax paper and stick it in a bag. Like it's, it's the same. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> it's true though. Like it, it's they're not, all the it's same. Not, no, it's. Well, I wasn't saying it from a, from a, like a blandness nature there. There's what they did was it fit the plot and it was good yeah. for what they were doing. I just meant the, the stylistic nature of how they did it felt very, yeah, I mean, no, it was agreed. a little stiff, but it felt I very though, programmatic. I understand what you're saying. I would just say it's more like going to a good sushi train, right? Like when I go to a good <laughs> sushi train, I want the sushi. I know what the sushi is going to be like, and I really enjoy the sushi, right? Your thing about McDonald's is to be quite disparaging as if it's like not good for you, which you mentioned earlier. I don't agree with that. I think it's great escapist entertainment, but also I think Kate. Um, I guess Kate it's. Herring, I guess I'd say it's not good for you if it's, if it's all that you consume. That's what I worry about. Is I think there are people for whom this is their primary sure. source of entertainment, but, and that's where I. Sorry. I, that's where I have some concerns. I guess, like I to- think the <laughs> director does a good job. I think she's really, uh, yeah, doing a really good job in directing it, and I think that that was a good. Yeah. Like the video game reference, absolutely. But I think it was a good video game reference, right? It could just, you yeah, know, I'm not along. saying it disparagingly. It just felt like I hadn't seen anyone do that in that, like, unless they were really trying to call attention to it as that, which they clearly weren't in this. It just felt like 
to your point, Matt, which is what reminded me of it, starting to feel that video game style in the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I also want to call out the cinematography at uh, Autumn Durand Arkapa. I mean, it's gorgeously shot, beautiful anamorphic work. Nice. Uh, I like the grade. Uh, it's a little, it's a little kind of in, in that underexposed vibe that people like to do lately. Not super underexposed, but just a little bit. I, I'm guessing, I don't know this for a fact, but are huge sections of this shot uh, in a virtual production environment? It looks like it is. It looks like it. Yeah. Yeah. I would be really surprised if episode three wasn't. Um, yeah. So it's crying out for it. But there's um, like, even when he was in the the like, prison time loop where the girl's kicking them in the nards every time, every two minutes, yeah. like that whole back wall was a, was an led wall for sure. I mean, you could see the contrast. His hair is like having his hair be dyed black actually does them a disservice to other black points in the frame because there was some, like some dark bushes and things in the back that just were like clearly like a lifted, like led wall, like felt to me at least, but um from a I black think there's there's some black. things in the in the production like when we when we look at composition and we think about visual effects in the context of how this it's a fairly dialogue heavy show right it's a very character driven mm-hmm. show except when we get the the kind of you know the the bombastic fighting or whatever but i think that the um you know a lot of the environment work that's being done with a couple exceptions that I noticed today, but a lot of those environments are really interesting. There's an environment uh, that I was in one of the three episodes I watched today. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but um, where uh, it's an, it's an enormous, it looks like the inside of like a, one of those indoor hotel atriums, right? Yeah. But it's gigantic. Yeah. And that, that actually, hotel. is it Atlanta, a real hotel? That hotel. Yeah, in Atlanta, in Atlanta. Right? Yeah. And I have been at the top of that with a paper aeroplane and yeah. thrown it out when Sidgraf was in Atlanta. In Was it Sidgraf or NAB was in Atlanta like yeah. years ago? And uh, I stayed there. And, yeah, and I was looking at too. it. Yeah. And then I was looking up the show notes for this and I was like, oh, they modeled it off that uh, Marriott. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That actually, though, I think as an environment, as a set, like it does feel totally like a real space. It makes sense that it's modeled on a yeah. real space but it's taken to the nth degree in terms of its depth. And I thought the compositing mm-hmm. and the lighting and the color and all that, and the, the, the movement of parallax, all the little details in the background, that for the environment stuff, like was near the top for me. It's one of the more interesting environments yeah. that I actually feel like it felt like a real, although a super massive, <laughs> but it felt like a real place, you know? Yeah. Can I throw out my favorite environment, which is tied tied to that is the first time they do the push past the two people walking down the corridor and you see the city in the background when Tom Hiddleston's like, that's not real. And he's like, he's like, yeah, it is. Go take a look. And they push past him into the city. And it's like the most dense environment ever. And it totally works. Like, like I was, I was like, wow, can you just like, Leave that, leave that on for like 10 minutes. I just want to look at all the stuff. Like it was so. Yeah, it was so really cool. Well you see it outside. Together. The, you see it outside a couple yeah. other windows. The one environment that I saw today that really didn't work, uh, although there was a cool effect in it, was uh, they go to, I don't know if they're in 
like Pompeii or Vesuvius or whatever, yeah. where they're, they're on that little street. Yeah. And like, and it's framed in such a way that like, it feels like you're on a, a like a, a virtual uh, stage kind of space. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's how it's shot, but it's framed in this really narrow way that feels super unnatural. It makes it, it has the effect of yeah. foreshortening everything and making everything look really flat. But then they do wind up doing the eruption at one point and the actual simulation, the whatever, if it's like a Houdini thing mm -hmm. or whatever of the, of the eruption of the volcano, it's awesome. When it first blows up, yeah. you're like, <laughs> oh, wow, that's really cool. That looked like such a bad painting, but that comp though, and the way those things are integrated, that shot design uh, didn't quite work yeah. perspective wise, as well as lighting wise. But I thought that that the execution of the, the, uh, yeah. They needed the simulation very, was really cool. They needed that entryway they were standing in to be like to the left or to the right Something. by like five feet. So yeah, you kind of had very... some occlusions down the And they lit street. it in a way too, where it was like, it yeah. was like, it was daylight, but it looked yeah. like there was a lot of diffusion on the lighting on the actors. And so yeah. they were really softly lit. Well, the sort of exterior environment in sunlight feels like Italy. it should be like a harsh, <laughs> like a really hard shadow kind of light. And those two yeah. didn't really integrate well. That's that's a really tough ask if you're the compositor that's given that shot. Because you're yeah. like, I need to sell that as real. And you're like, well, kind of, you know, it's, yeah, like it's the quality of light that doesn't match. And I agree that the shot design doesn't work. And I feel like it just doesn't have any cinematography to it. It's just like, let's put the camera here and aim it down this narrow thing. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, you don't know what the backstory is. Like it could have been yeah. any number of things. Yeah, like it looked like they were like, you know, oh, we need to like Loki has to prove his point. Okay, just we have this set. Oh, we have this stage <laughs> for like four days. Just put a thing on this. Four days, shoot, like an it. afternoon. Yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like yeah. just go shoot it and and let's like plot point done. There's some big companies that have worked on this, like uh, I mean, ILM is a. Uh, you know, prime contributor to this show, yeah. uh, but there's a bunch of them. Like, um, I believe Digital Domain and Lima and Rise and Method and Rodeo, a bunch of companies. Um, I haven't actually done any stories on this yet, so I don't know like the full extent of who's doing what. But um, there, there is some money spent on the visual effects on this. It doesn't feel cheap. Um, no, but I, no, you know, like it's, not. it's a, it's a tough ask. Some of the things that I, I do think. The uh, the editing out of people with the uh, sticks that mm -hmm. cause somebody to be uh, well, I was going to say killed, but obviously not if you've seen episode yeah. four. Um, that's a that's a nice nicely handled effect for let's face it, a problem that a visual effects artist has been dealing with for like decades, <laughs> which is like how yeah. do I zap someone out of existence? Um, it doesn't want to feel like they're turning to dust because that's already an established uh, mm -hmm. trope. It, you doesn't want to feel like there's just a an After Effects plugin over the top. Um, it's got that really like harsh, noisy edge that's kind mm -hmm. of luminous, that's sort of eating away in different but it also places. It feels also feels volumetric. Yeah, I was going to say that it has it has yeah. shape. Like it doesn't feel like a wipe. It feels like there's exactly it's, it's tracing a. I mean, clearly they have a model of the person or something, you know, that they're using for, for, uh, uh, or even a rough shape, you know, volume mm -hmm. that they're, that they're pinning that to, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, a. 
and also all the little sparks, like when they're done, there's like a little like, like it's still kind of buzzing. Nice contact lighting on the people standing near them. It's not Mm -hmm. like a, yeah, I think whoever did that just done a a really nice job at executing uh, what was, could be just a ho-hum kind of, we've seen this before, though it's such a huge plot point. Um, uh, Yeah. But I always think it's fun and challenging when you're given that task to pull off something that everybody goes, well, they get zapped and you're like, okay, but give me something Uh, I've never seen before. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Uh, I think a nice, something we've seen before, but are okay with it is the doorways that they make have a very uh, David Lynch Dune vibe, the shields, Mm -hmm. Dune shields vibe. Okay. Uh, Because they feel kind of 70s and gritty and and i i'm a huge sucker for chromatic aberration so like mm. as they pass through it and you see separations of stuff and um when it's, it's there uh, it looks like it, it looked like almost too like a big block of like amber or something like yeah it doesn't look like a portal it's like tron yeah it's like tron meets uh tron <laughs> meets david lynch's dune <laughs> yeah it's like a like a and again, wax monolith the- or something yeah, you've got those portals that they've used in the Avenger films and in Doctor Strange, so you've got right. to go again with something that looks different. Um, right. So the very sort of cubic uh, geometric nature of them is a good starting point. But yeah, yeah. like uh, like how they close ex- to it's like an old TV, like kind of <laughs> like you know top to bottom, and the the let's face it, the Terry Gilliam sort of nature design. of the production design with the with the old computers and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I've got to say Brazil is just one of my favorite films for art direction. I just, oh, yeah. I'm just floored by how great that film is. I mean, I recently rewatched 12 monkeys and it's equally as all the stuff in the 2035 stuff is equally as awesome. I mean, it's all in the same, his same vibe. That's weird. I just awesome. recently watched the Fisher King. We all had mm. like a Terry Gilliam experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're all good films. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he's a filmmaker that that pushes boundaries and tries to do things that are, you know, even if he doesn't quite succeed, like it's not quite a lot of his visual effects uh, sometimes they're not totally uh, uh, at the level that you would hope them to be, but he pushes really hard to make those original mm-hmm. visuals. And um, Munchausen had some effects in it that I cringed oh, at, yeah. but it, but I do applaud him for pushing hard to try and do stuff. And certainly, even though there's a couple of dodgy miniatures in Brazil, it's my, <laughs> you know, just the art direction of that film. Oh, yeah. And the, no, the sheer audacity of the <laughs> sort of vision of hopelessness is uh, yeah. <laughs> spectacular. Um, um, but again, I, sorry, go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, to that retro, the fact that they're retro, like, they're they in the Loki show, you know, they have all this high tech, but everything look, you know, the technology is clearly, you know, you have time guardians and time and this and all this stuff, even uh, which I, I loved the little like orientation video when he was standing in line. But that was like really, I mean, it's on the nose, right? It's what anyone our age would do. You'd be like, oh, no, those are, you know, pizzicato strings, 50 thing. Like, but it's awesome because it just always works. And it's really it well. well in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was. Uh, that was a great effect, though, in one of those episodes. The, I think maybe the second episode or uh, whatever. I'm not going to remember oh, yeah, which episode the, the it was. Talking, but the, the talking, talking clock that's like walking clock. around and, and yeah. how it was luminous 
And the yeah. light that it bounced, the bounce light, or I guess it would be direct mm-hmm. light from it that you, they got on Tom Hiddleston's face. Like, yeah, it, it again took this like incredibly fantastical fantasy element, this cartoon and inserted it into the live action footage in a way that I thought was it was really well done and it was funny and playful. He's like, can you even hear me? Or do you hear yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> and then it was like, well, kind of, you know, like it talked back to him and it was yeah. really, and it, it also, was they sort of tricked you into thinking that it was being projected off something stationary. And then it jumps off, which is right. a nice, and then into the computer, which is like, and he's like, wait, what, you know, like it's, uh, yeah. do, do you read anything into the fact that the clock had 16 notches on it? Not 12. <laughs> oh, I missed that. So here's one of the really interesting side aspects about the the sort of the stuff that they do is that they do these things that uh, Matt was, I think, referring to earlier, which are like either, I, I kind of know, because we've all been on set, right? I've been on set and somebody's walked up and said, hey, what should the number on her collar yeah. be? And then someone's gone, oh, it should be like, uh, I got to go to make it A23, right? Because that, that was a comic book she was in. And it's that much thought that went into it, right? Yeah. And like, okay, I need some number. Let's just use yeah. A23, right? Doesn't really matter. And then and then the fans pick apart, oh my God, it was issue A23 now. And A23. And then they just like break that down. Yeah. <laughs> and like behind the scenes, you can almost imagine the, the poor person going, I just needed a number. And somebody said A23. And you know, yeah. don't okay, sure. And and I feel like that's the case with like some of these things, because certainly on WandaVision that happened, right? People were reading into it a level of insane cleverness that even the writer's room guys would have been like, God, I wish we'd thought of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you mean like lost or something like that? <laughs> well, but, but see, then the problem is the more you get into that, because I have a friend who's like totally into comic books and I'm not, like he calls them graphic novels and I just call them comic books. And I never was particularly. And so I, I don't, you know, like, I think it's funny that in this one, in the last post-credit sequence, they show Loki in the jester type Loki outfit mm-hmm. from the comics because they're acknowledging that they're just absurd. Like as a kid, I thought they were dumb. Like, I just thought that's a dumb outfit, right? Like, why would you wear a dumb outfit? Like, and I still think I always that, liked the Loki with the big giant horns. That was always my favorite. No, Loki, I see but... the first Thor movie. I was like, it's, it's, I don't know, just absurd. I, I didn't like the first Thor movie. It was just too much like Xanadu for me. I was expecting well, we, I think, yeah, we you know, people a- to come out on roller skates. <laughs> but yeah. But here's the thing, right? Like they kind of know that, so they poke fun at themselves. But the more you get to those in-jokes, um, you end up, I think, in a space where you get, uh, or you could get, something that works well at Comic-Con and doesn't work for the general public. Like it yeah. works really well if you get all the jokes and you're like, oh, my God. But it's like if... I went it's, like a nerd, it's like nerd archaeology, like uh, archaeology or something like it's so <laughs> arcane that yeah. it, it sort of can be alienating to other like well, more I don't casual know if Jason viewers. would agree with this because this is a musical reference. But I went and saw Bob Dylan play in Sydney mm-hmm. and he played every song that I wanted him to play in a completely different way that made it virtually unrecognizable. Now, for Dylan fans, they were like, that was just so awesome. Like he played blah, blah. And I'm like. I had to wait like halfway through that song before I could even work out what song it was. Right. And it's like, well, what did you want him well, to play? You can't understand sense? them when he sings. Yeah. But yeah. But my point <laughs> is like, if you are a total Dylan yeah. freak hearing every song in a completely original way is a gift. 
But for the rest of us who like think Dylan's really great, but quite frankly, I don't have, you know, all of the bootleg tapes from like, yeah. you know, and whatever. I'm like, yeah, I couldn't get into it that much because I couldn't recognize anything and I didn't know what was going on. And it was an in-joke yeah. I wasn't part of. Yeah. I, so I, I sort go, of ride the line. I sort of ride the line on, I think there's, I'm all for people reimagining their stuff because I mean, you know, they're getting bored of it and they want to change it up and that's cool. But I think uh, John Cougar Mellencamp said it best. Somebody asked him, you know, do you get tired of playing Jack and Diane at your shows? And he goes, no, because a, that's what the fans are there for. And I know if I went to see Frank Sinatra and he didn't play my way, I'd be fucking pissed. So like, he's like, you know, it's, it is what it is, but it's like my, my example is I went, my brother and I went to see deep purple uh, with most of the original lineup you know, play Machine Head, which is like arguably one of their greatest records, front to back, in order, that record. And they have Steve Morris from the Dixie Dregs playing guitar because Richie Blackmore's not in the band anymore. And he refused to play the guitar solos from the record. Everything, they all, they all played the songs exactly the right way. And he played some of his own, and he's a great guitar player. And I've seen him play in his own band and he's fantastic, but not in that band. Those are like canonical solos, play the solos. And so, so I, 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 I'm with you. Like there's, there's, there, there's a time to do it and a time not to do it uh, in all this stuff, movies and, and whatever. And uh, you know, that's the truth. It would be, it would be disappointing to go and see Romeo and Juliet and it gets the balcony sequence and they, they have it in the back of a convertible and they have no actual, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, dialogue I think from the original Shakespeare. You're talking, you're making a really interesting point though. It's something about these big franchise, um, films and television programs that spawn so much content, you know, which is, don't get me wrong, awesome for visual effects artists. Like, I mean, it's just constant employment for people, which is great. But I think when you have those kinds of uh, massive structures and you're not really generating a lot of new ideas and new content and new characters. Although I guess you could say, yes, but there are new characters being generated. I don't know. I don't know enough about the comics, but, but, but when you do that, like if they start to fall in popularity, if they start to like lose some of their luster and the, and the draw for the audience, like if it starts to dissipate and go away, then what do you do? Like, how does it, where does it go? You know? Well, Matt, let me, let me put this to you. Like I was lucky enough to be on a uh, thing recently, a call thing with um, Zara at Animal Logic. They've just turned 30. Yeah. And so, Animal Logic, great company, really like them. But he made the point uh, in, and in passing that I, I couldn't help but think just encapsulated this for me. Is he said, We moved at some point from being shot makers to storytellers. And I think that that's the responsibility of the VFX artists because I kind of feel like, obviously, our listeners, and we love every individual one of them enormously, we want them to be employed. But by the same token, it's a little self-centered just to say, produce stuff that isn't great just because it employs our mates. You know what I mean? Like, So to a certain extent, yeah. is it up to the visual effects team to really try and be more storytellers and less just shot makers? Because the shot makers are just going to produce the stuff that you would criticize as being com like more factory commodity items. If they're given that opportunity, like, absolutely. I guess I might, my point in sort of suggesting that it's great in terms of employment, like I totally agree with that point that you just made, but I guess I, I, I always hes hesitate a little bit because I know that for some 
people that I used to work with, as well as I think a lot of younger artists that I meet, there is people are, uh, can be, they can tie a lot of their own sense of self-worth to the projects that they work on. And so if you bag on a project or on a franchise or on a whatever, it's almost as if you're uh, denigrating their work, which that's not really, I feel like that's really easy to separate those things in my mind. And to me, they're not connected at all. I think you can still do great work and care greatly about your art form uh, and try to be a storyteller in all that context, but you don't necessarily have to uh, hitch your wagon to a property that you are not the progenitor of, right? <laughs> the trouble is though, like I've walked out of movies. Well, let's take that one I criticized before, boss level, right? I'm sure there are some artists that did really great work in that. I just, but I often, I've often said to like my wife, it's like, God, it would be so disappointing if that's what you just spent the last 18 months of your life doing. Like, because your work may be really, really good. But if you said, like, let's say you met me at a, at a SIDGRAPH and I said, what have I been working on? And I said, oh, boss level. You wouldn't be like, awesome. You, you would judge the, I mean, not you personally, but one would judge Yeah. based on the fact that it wasn't the greatest film ever, right? If I said I worked on a Woody Allen, or maybe Woody Allen's a bad example in this modern day and age, but pick, pick a, a Scorsese film, right? Where the visual effects weren't particularly spectacular, uh, an earlier Scorsese film, but nevertheless, it was a Scorsese film. You'd be like, oh my God, you actually worked on Heat? And like, well, yeah, I did some rig removal, but yeah, I totally did. Whereas, you know, you could have produced the most amazing Sims yeah. for Boss. That was level. Michael Mann, by the way. Like, yeah. True, but I was trying to, okay, true, but yes. that is true. I got that wrong. <laughs> i give you that one. Sorry, I have it to, could have been a Scorsese film. As the resident <laughs> historian, I have to uh, <laughs> call it as I see it, but yes. Okay. Uh, well, I, you know, you, I do. I do oh, try to separate, I do try to separate like personally, like people say to me, oh, like I'll say even bands, like I'll say, oh, I, I hate that band. And they'll be like, oh no, they're great. That guy's a great guitar player. Like the guitar player is great. They all play well. They're all good at what they do. I don't like what they do when they get together. <laughs> right. But that's, you can say the same thing about movies. You can say like the visual effects in boss level, I haven't seen it, but let's just say they're awesome. But the screenwriter and the studio and whoever allowed the thing to get put together, either they didn't have the capacity, you know, at the higher level to, to have a better script, or that's the only script they could get funded, or there's so many things around. I mean, look at Army of the Dead. Like, it's a total piece of garbage. It looks fine. Uh, it, people are acting okay. The script sucks. It just does, in my opinion. And, and the fact that somebody has, then you start judging other things like, oh, well, you have that much money. Why does your script suck? Because nobody cares. Like, look at Michael Bay movies. It's the same thing. But everyone in the movies doing their job effectively, man, you can't get, you know, a whole army of zombies in a wide shot of Las Vegas with plates and the whole thing if people aren't doing their jobs well. You know what I mean? So can you take credit, like if you worked on Transformers, okay, that's a film that I think the visual effects transcended the plot. Yeah, um, oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. But if we work on an, if we pick another film, and I'm going to hit on boss level because <laughs> what the heck? Like, if you can't, if you can't inherit some of the criticism at not being a good film, is it fair that if you do uh, work on a couple of shots in the background of uh, a Steven Spielberg Lincoln, yeah, which is a spectacularly good piece of acting, 
Is it fair that you're kind of taking credit for it being a really important film and a great film? I, when I don't think you would. Do I don't think you would. I mean, you'd but say, you, hey, you'd stick it on your reel, shots. Yeah, but you might put the boss level shots in your reel too, because they're just shots. Yeah, but you wouldn't you'd go around the Spielberg saying, I, stuff I, first. Well, of course, because that's the business we're in, right? You got its name recognition is name recognition. No, Matt, but, Matt, but, I can tell you Matt wants to get on. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I don't want to go too far like a field here with this, but I do think that it <laughs> speaks to something that I, I think it's you, what you're talking about, is, at least for me, speaks to something that's really um, a part of my personal experience in visual effects. And I've been talking to a lot of my old coworkers right. on, this, on this show and, and um. One of the things that is I've now talked to like almost 50 people um, and like it's been really interesting. There's some consistent themes, um, at least for that sort of generation of artists that I kind of came up with. And it was like we we worked on you were mentioning boss baby or whatever you're boss saying, level. What, yeah. boss <laughs> level. And um, I worked on um, Stephen Summers first Hollywood movie, I think, called Deep Rising which had oh, treat, treat Williams and uh, yeah. I think Fomka uh, Jansen or no? something. I don't remember, oh, no, but Deep Blue sea. No, I've yes, never seen the movie Deep Rising, but I know I worked on some of the monster shots and the jet ski coming out of the, the boat. And like, I mean, it's ridiculous, but like that crew that I worked with on the visual effects side, doing the visual effects for Deep Rising, they were awesome people. We had an amazing time. We, you know, made some cool uh, shots for the show. That was a terrible movie that we all knew was, you know, a total stinker. Like it's not like a breakout hit, you know, like it was so stupid. So yeah. It cost 45 million and it grossed 11. Yeah. But what, but what was really cool was it was the, it was the team. It was the people, it was the camaraderie. It was the, exactly. yeah, but it we was the we work, like, we don't think Loki's in that category, right? Like, let's get it back to Loki for a second, right? Like, I think that Loki would be the exact opposite. I think that if you worked on a Marvel product like Loki, if you did the 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 sim of the Pompeii, or you just did rig removal, you yeah, just yeah. get it up the front of the reel. Yeah, yeah, oh, sure. And I, I guess what I'm saying is, and I would agree, I think Loki is of a caliber far higher than boss level or uh, deep, deep rising. rising. <laughs> but yeah, it, well, guaranteed, right? That's like one of the things that you put at the top of your list. Like I worked on this big temple piece that had a big budget and like is kind of moving, mm -hmm. you know, this juggernaut franchise in whatever direction it needs to go in. And those are the things that are great. But I think every artist at some point in their career, uh, well, maybe there are exceptions to this, but you're going to work on some stinkers, you know, and you're going to have oh, shots yeah. that you work on in sequences you work on that get cut. So you might I, say I, like what you were saying about boss level, Mike, about like somebody who says, I worked on this and it's not going to, nobody's going to see it. It's not going to be remembered. And wouldn't you feel bad? Like I've worked on whole sequences in movies that got cut. You know, and it's like I it's a bummer, but I just think like That's well, harsh. I still got paid, you know. Like I think and I still did good work. Like I'm still proud my, my of what I did. My justification was I learned I either developed techniques or I learned stuff yeah. on the film. Right. More than just like I got paid, right? Like I don't well, think sure. for the money. But no, 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 but I'm kidding. But um but here's a really interesting thing. I, I can I just change tact because yeah. the thing that I find really interesting is that sort of Matt, you and I would go. 16 rounds on how cool we thought stuff was in uh you know some tv show that uh devs like westworld west devs yeah. whatever yeah. yeah and yet 
And yet, uh, why is that not the case on this? Why aren't we discussing Renslayer and her relationship to the evil uh, sort of plot lines that are coming up in Doctor Strange and the I, convoluted I think, nature of? Cause well, I think for I think for me, the answer. To, I mean, like I said, I mean, I've seen all these movies, you know, like I'm not it's not like I'm not going to see them. And I've even rewatched some of them and been like, hey, that's pretty good. You know, like, it, but, <laughs> but, but, but but doesn't it draw you in the kind of the way the the web of the arcana of it all? Not really. Like, well, I think I think to me, what's interesting about devs, uh, oh, the Alex Garland limited mm-hmm. series that was on, like, I loved it's it. it's totally original uh, in terms of its narrative, its thought and its structure and its execution. And on every level, like. I haven't seen it before. It's playing in an area and an arena that is fresh and that like it's 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 um it's there's a like I think of a musical term like when you ring a bell and you know you match the pitch or whatever mm-hmm. like it's sort of like hitting the right tone at the right moment of this larger kind of cultural zeitgeist zeitgeist and these ideas around even though they're kind of ridiculously executed as I think we talked about like they're not realistic in terms of quantum computing but that idea of being able to right um mathematically understand everything if you could understand like the smallest thing that it, you know it would all parse out like that's interesting like it's interesting as a philosophical like theoretical question like what does that mean right whereas to me like the 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 loki relationship with himself or with whatever or the the tesseract and the magical powers working or not working that's not as interesting to me because i feel like it's connecting to some other like larger comic narrative you know can i point out the reason that you like dev so much is because the script is good Hmm. i'm always going to go back to script i'm not and i'm not shitting on loki because loki i don't think is is terrible writing i think it's totally it's there's some great stuff in there. And at times you have to be serviceable. That's totally fine. It's not a negative, right? Mm -hmm. They are servicing a 20 plus movie and, you know, many, many multiple decades of films. That's not an easy task. Totally get it. You're going to have stuff that you have to write. That's just going to be serviceable. Totally fine. Not judgmental, but generally, if you think about movies, you like, it's always the script. Like you can say the director did cool shots. You can say all this stuff. It always comes down to good writing. It just yeah. does. No, it's true. Okay, but so let me defend Loki and say I don't have to defend it because I don't think it's terrible. But okay, it's, no, no. But I'm not saying that. I'm just saying yeah. like the writing. The writing here has interesting problems. Like you talked about the writers' room earlier. If you were in the writers' room, you've got a character that's basically dead that's got to go back in time, that's got to engage an audience, but not be irrelevant. Like I find backstories on characters often bore me because I kind of not know where they're going, not where they've been. Yeah. So it, this doesn't feel like they're just treading water to me. Like, so I actually think they created some elaborate problems and then had some inventive writing to get around it. But I, I also believe that the audience for this is going to be obviously much wider than it is for devs as much yeah. as I adore devs. Devs was made for me personally. Um, yeah, that's you know, how I feel. No one else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, whereas Loki is clearly made for me and the rest of the family to watch. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Can I say, uh, though, I don't think when someone wrote this, they really understood that in the year pl- later that they'd be putting it out, that the word variants would have a completely different uh, <laughs> a- approach and meaning to this, which I, I mean, again, it's it's cultural. It's, uh, it's I, a I thing. Saw, I saw the funniest uh, thing today. Somebody had uh, uh, on Twitter, I think somebody had said that the Delta variant sounds like a 70s. Uh, what do they say? A 70s conspiracy thriller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Mega Man. Yeah. They also have Delta Plus now, which sounds as a variant, which sounds like Delta Airlines cannot be happy about that. I <laughs> can only Plus. imagine that I'm waiting for the Delta One. The, like, you get like two first, more inches of legroom in Delta Plus. Yeah. I'm waiting for the for the first class Delta variant, the Delta One, you know, just straight up, you know. Anyway, it's enough of that. Delta but, Gold. Yeah. Um uh I when you were talking about environments. I thought the the Lamentus one environment was was interesting, not necessarily the the like initial place they were. But once they started walking away like, from the quarry, away from the quarry and they had there's <clears> just like there's clearly a ton of real dirt on the ground. The reflection of the purple on everything and like really the contact lighting on the ground, which is from real light and the LED wall of and obviously other environment work they're doing because they can only either they're on treadmills at a certain point or the, you know, they do have a, a large volume, but like how much could they really be shooting and walking without seeing the ceiling? Of course you can paint, you know, extend and do all sorts of stuff. It was just an interesting, I didn't mind that walk and talk. Like it was in yeah, an that, interesting environment. That's a good, that's a, I thought the exact same thing of that, of the first sort of lo- lengthy walking, talking scene yeah. in that environment where the camera is like, sort of above them a little bit, looking down, sort of tracking mm-hmm. with them as they walk and they, they walk. And then I think they start to run or maybe they ran and then started to walk. I can't remember which, but like they covered a pretty yeah. big distance. And I was like, wow, yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. Like there's something visually interesting that's going on there for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was and well then done. The, when they went to the city and like the, before they that uh, video game sequence, the city was like this kind of like pop art buildings, like really uh, almost almost Ragnarok-y in the the Jeff Goldblum vibe, you know, like kind of these bold lines and different colored patterns on the buildings, mm-hmm. uh, lots of purple and neon, uh, you know. But uh, all that stuff, you know, again from an environment and like a world creation thing, because that's I think that's the only non Earth place right yeah that, that, that was one of my my criticisms when they kept on going to disaster points i was like in the whole of the universe the disasters yeah. all having to be on earth yeah like that seemed a little like weird <laughs> of all the seven realms they only had disasters at our place um but i surprised they that weren't matt all in new york go, yeah <laughs> yeah i thought matt would reference uh that um uh what was the christian uh uh christian uh, what um Kristen Durst film, like a melan- oh, melancholia. Oh, melancholia. melancholia yeah. That's it. Yeah. Cause that had some of the best end of days oh, kind yeah. of visualizations ever. And I was sort of like, yeah, if there was a moon that close, having seen that film, that there was so <laughs> many interesting visuals. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did it's like a different though- kind of, it's a different kind of approach though, because like in that, in a project like uh, melancholia, one of the things about it that makes it so arresting, I think, is uh, 
you know, the, the Wagner music yeah. and that extreme slow motion too, that's incorporated yeah. throughout. And so there's this tonal uh, element that's happening along with sort of the, the ennui of the like sort of end of, of days kind of thing happening. It's like a, it's a totally different tonal uh, it is, but it's so visually interesting with the sort yeah. of static electricity and and the sort of yeah. gravity issues and and it just felt so uh, I don't know weird, like disconnected but surreal. Yeah, yeah. It's visual effects serving narrative in the same way that visual effects serve narrative in Loki, but I think that it's just cutting a little deeper. Maybe can I say in <laughs> can I say in um in loki in that same lamentous environment there's uh, a section where it's kind of a wide shot i forget if it's by the train or not but it's kind of a wide shot and in the background you see a giant like dagger piece of the moon just like moving super slow and just goes like right before the cut it just goes like and kind of daggers into the planet but it's like way in the background they don't like Nobody acknowledges it or anything. I, I kind of like that. It's just, well, it's just happening. Clearly people are trying to get off the planet or do whatever they can, but just like, you know, I, I like yeah. that they filled the space with that, uh, you know, that piece of the environment in the background. Yeah. It's just, um, yeah. Okay. So, so where does realism need to stop and start with visual effects, right? If a planet is breaking apart like that, is a luxury train sort of like a plausible thing to still be running? Like no one of these meteors ever hit any of the tracks or any of the I know, rails. If, um, it, have it, you guys seen Sweet Tooth? No, not yet. It's really I, good. I, I want to, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's a world where post-apocalyptically, and I'm not giving anything away for the plot if you haven't seen it yet, Post-apocalyptic, years after the apocalypse of, you know, what has happened, which I won't tell you what that is, there's still electricity. People still have things right. that work really well. And I'm like, where did that come from? Like, if right. there's a breakdown in society, like, where do I even get the fuel to run the thing that's running the thing? Um, and I'm not saying that, like, it's uh, the same in this, but, like, it seems like if this planet's dying and everything's going to hell in a handbasket and that the electricity or power system or even the rail system would all run fine and the catering company would all, like, turn yeah. up with all the right <laughs> stuff for the catering well, and if truck. You have, well, and if you have uh, a giant ARC spaceship, wouldn't you have a smaller ship to just shuttle people over to the big spaceship? It, 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 to yeah. me, it felt like the... To me, it felt like the gambling planet section of the episode eight. You mean like it just? Yeah, it's just, it's just like, sort of it's, like, eh, it's like, uh, I guess, you know, you're just kind of like, I don't know if I needed that bit. I mean, it was, yeah, it's an, ex, it's an, expos, it was a tra expositional train, literally. Like, let's yeah, sit down and talk to each other for half no, the episode. But in a place where you can jump anywhere in time and, space it just seemed to me like if you had to have them sit down and have a nice meal and wait for something that traveling on a train for a long period of time it's like mm -hmm. don't forget they you know it was like a long train trip yeah she said 12 hours till the thing uh yeah. explodes and which then, i can i just say for all writers 
in the rest of humanity of, of screenwriting, if you can avoid putting an actual number in the amount of time you have left, please don't. <laughs> because all you're doing is making the audience, I know everyone thinks it's a ticking clock, but all it does is make me go, well, this is take, like to your point, Mike, well, they're being awful, you know, malaise about, you know, or lackadaisical about getting to their thing. Like clearly no one's really concerned, even though it's going to happen, you know, pretty soon. Well, yeah, there's, there's a couple of other huge sci-fi aspects to that, aren't there? Like, I mean, let's, this is my problem with, with, uh, I don't know, web swingers and gravity and physics. Yeah. yeah. The start is how come everybody speaks the same language? And then well, secondly, yeah. how come how come everybody works off Earth units of time and measurement, right? Yeah. Like it's 12 hours, really? So you choose to adopt out of all of space and time a particular time system that was worked out on planet Earth. Yeah, yeah, that's the one we're going to go with. Yeah, suspension <laughs> of disbelief. I mean, some of the stuff you have to kind of like, yeah, I think you have to go there. I think it's, but it, it may be too, it does speak in some ways to, again, that very thing, like the stories that, um, maybe are well more like you were saying, Jason, like a better script, something that's written in a more taut fashion. But even if you even if you get to visual effects on ship design for spaceships, right? Nearly every spaceship, and I'm going to start with all the Star Wars ones, look like they're designed to go through an atmosphere because they're pointy and they have low wind resistance. Yeah. I mean, don't even get me started on the whole Trek thing. Like, you know, we, the engines can't keep going. We're not going to be able to maintain this speed. I'm sorry. You need to fire the engines up to not maintain this speed, right? Right. <laughs> <Just> moving through. <laughs> but, but leaving that aside for a second, like they're all designed with pointy things that they can, you know, move through air and not have high wind resistance. And they all have frigging lights on the outside. I'm like, what are you shining the lights at? Like there's nothing yeah. out there. You're wasting power shining lights <laughs> at things. Um, and, and cool. yeah, yeah, but, but no, but like at some point, don't you think the audience tips, like there's a point where in the early days you would like, you know, you'd need that because otherwise the audience wouldn't understand it's a ship. And at some point you get a, maybe it was a blip, but like 2001 was marvelous for the idea that they just didn't accidentally suddenly have a button that they press for anti-gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and so, you know, and then the audience kind of like either is able to buy into that level of stuff, which I think they did in the film, The Martian successfully, you know, like mm-hmm. it just kept everything mm-hmm. very, very plausible. Or you go the other way and it's like, well, with anti-gravity, we can all speak the same language. We all work in earth time. All ships have to see each other to shoot at them in space. Um, <laughs> and lasers go across the the room in about three or four frames, not at the speed of light. You know, like- I think you could, you, things. Yeah, you could say though, that that's the difference between, either we don't define it this way in the culture, but I think that's the difference between like the traditional definition of science fiction versus fantasy, right? And I think that science fiction, mm. uh, as, as it's sort of intended, I think is more things that are grounded in, you know, a sort of science-based you know, uh, f- real physics-based or theoretical physics-based universe, whereas fantasy can kind of uh, have that magical realism and play in a different arena where like the rules of physics for Spider-Man really don't matter um, and that it's a more fantasy genre. And I would argue the superhero movies and the Star Wars movies, they're fantasy movies. They're not science fiction movies. 
Okay, so so because people probably listening to this podcast in the desperate hope that we discuss Loki, um, why don't we discuss where we think it's going to go and see how accurate we are? Hmm. The, the end of the last step, we've seen him land in a place with other Lokis, not be actually erased from all time. Any speculation, uh, just purely as a you know movie lover, you want to have well, as to where this series is going? The 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 real question is when the people are pruned as it were which i which i appreciate yep. as a new piece of lingo for de, you know dematerializing or whatever yep. is uh um is he the only one or is is that the first sort of kick and thing to like all the other uh variants that had been pruned over however long the tva had been doing this are they going somewhere else as well like where like are all the multiverses still happening and it's it's a construct uh by whoever's running the tva because clearly the the uh uh what's it called the timekeepers or whatever are not real uh and we should talk about that for a second uh when we're done with our guesses but um i hope that by the end of loki he is not alive. I hope that okay. it sort of collapses on itself at the end, sort of the same, sort of in the sense of uh, Rogue One aspect, you know, where like they don't need to live. It's the journey that's important, you know, but we'll see. What about you, Matt? Well, you know, it's July 1st, 2021. And today uh, the state of Virginia made the recreational use of marijuana legal. Uh, so I, I, maybe I can actually have something to say about that at another future time. I don't know. I, <laughs> it's too, it's like, the, I feel like the machinations that I'd have to go through are so, uh, far afield from my, my, my norm core brain that I think I, it would take me a while to get there. I need some accelerant, <laughs> I think, to arrive at a place where I could make, uh, an educated opinion guess. Well, I'm going to say that uh, I think that my hope is that they do weave this. This is where I started the the, uh, the podcast. I do hope they weave this into the main narrative. I hope this does connect with the multiverse. I hope, and and obviously there's a multiverse in this, but I mean the multiverse that is going to be uh, Doctor Strange and uh, Spider Man, because right. I think I think Spider Man and the multiverse, the animated show, was so impactful. Um, that they've embraced that and said, let's go with the multiverse. And by doing that, I think what they're setting up in this one is that there's some force, I presume it's the evil guy from Doctor Strange, who is trying to control the multiverses by pruning things that cause spikes and changes oh, in the multiverse. I have, sorry, finish your thing. I'll, I'm going to revise based on what you said. I have, I have a, a different <laughs> idea. And so my hope is that uh, what happens in this is that we discover that the, um, the show has uh, cleverly worked out a way to tell that story, to actually have something that does impact the main um, uh, storyline. In other words, that the, the villainous features that are going to be coming out or the 
the villainous characters in features that are coming out, such as in Doctor Strange and in uh, Ant-Man, which we both know are multiverse based, mm -hmm. do directly relate to this and that this isn't like some uh, amazing thing that is never mentioned again and is, you know, like, wait a second, there's an entire, you know, time variant authority that was going on here. We, we, what, whatever happened to that? Because that would be a really big disappointment to me. And I do feel that it's a piece of challenging writing to pull that off. So I hope that in the yeah. last two eps, uh, Loki meets up with all the other Lokis. Is there um, only six total? I don't know. I mean, I also uh, don't know. I also think that it'd be really interesting if there's a bunch of uh, Owen Wilson variants uh, that all get to play. I'd like to see some, was it Multiplicity? That film back yeah. in the, yeah. That's <laughs> Michael some, Keaton, some Andy Michael McDowell. Keaton action. Yeah, exactly. Some good um, motion controlled overlapping uh, multiple characters. That's Frank Goss movie, Multiplicity? I can't remember who directed it, but it was, and it wasn't the best film, but there was some nice visual effects in it. Oh, Harold Ramis, and, sorry. Harold Ramis and, movie. And what, what I liked about that was the idea that when they kept on producing copies of Michael Keaton, it got progressively weaker in the way that a photocopy yeah. <laughs> got progressively weaker. And I will point yeah. to the fact that the title sequence of Loki looks a lot like a photocopy decay. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I think that there's going to be some really interesting things going on there. I hope that they manage to tie that in so that we don't have one of these things that I started with, which is an isolated bubble that ends up exactly where it started and we all pretend yeah. like it never happened. There is actually be... six episodes, yeah. yeah um, so two left. How many were there? But, six of the Wandavision too? Is that no? I think there's more. But these ones are longer than Wandavision. Wandavision was like yes. half hour. Yeah, yeah these are hours. Uh, interesting. Um, well, they're forty something minutes plus credit roll. Yeah, the credits yeah. are long on those. I like the credits. We can talk about that in a second. But uh, my revision is. And it, I always forget about this, and I'm always so hopeful they're going to do this. And I feel like this is the time they could do it. And I believe they allude to it in one of the future movie titles is my favorite thing. And I haven't read comics in a while, but in the 80s, they had, and I think I've mentioned this before, they had a character called the Beyonder, who was like this basically omnipotent, omniscient super being that at one point had a, they had a series of books called secret wars where they brought all the marvel characters into one like where where the beyonder was like this big white plane and they all kind of fought and and worked together didn't work together whatever and that's where this symbiote comes from that becomes venom later that that's where spider-man gets the black suit and it goes the whole thing so i'm hoping that the time lords or whatever their names are from the from this the, the that just it's died or were 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 robotic uh the uh timekeepers or whatever they were called uh that it's there's actually the beyonder is the one or or that character because i think they said there was a movie secret wars something coming up well now that's uh, all about the uh the shapeshifters that we saw in uh in uh captain marvel right like what? the yeah secret invasion of <laughs> I'm so, I get so confused. Yeah. I remember the, in the what if of, comics, but it's yeah, it's what if also, good. that's coming. What out. if was those are coming? Those are coming out too. They're doing those as episodes, standalone things. Yeah, what if the end of Wandavision? You didn't see that, Matt. She walks I, into a cinema, and we discover that characters were actually aliens. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I saw it. I, I, I mean, I don't remember it very well. I guess. <laughs> but can <laughs> can we talk about the two things? The 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 timekeeper's room. 
which yep. was I thought from a design standpoint was awesome. It right, reminded me of a like a shot that would be in Mandy or something. Yeah, they had but, that sick neon sign. Yeah, them. yeah, and the three guys, and you're just <laughs> like, sure didn't remind you of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Well, that too, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm going Mandy right now. But uh, but was it just me, or could you not understand any of them except for the main? dude at the top of the pyramid. I don't think you meant talking. to. I think you, I thought you meant to, that they were speaking different languages. I, 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 think they, I didn't understand them. No, I think there was it, the guy with the, what with the big walrusy guy with his mustache, yeah. which Wilford looked very Brimley. Yeah. flat. Yeah. Total <laughs> Wilford Brimley. His, his, his timekeeper name was diabetes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the other the guy right who I do. just like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I like their design, but then it was it like, they were a little cartoony. Uh, I thought it was a self-referential nod to tenant that they couldn't be understood. Oh, well, sure. <laughs> Audio reference. Um, Every movie by uh, Christopher Nolan. But they were, they were a bit toony, which has made it funny when they were animatronics. Yeah. 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 yeah I think that was yeah. the, I think that was nice the, touch. the cell. Yeah. Hall of presidents. Uh, that was know. where you go to order your, your Big Mac meal. It's that's the, yeah. the, the box where you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, can I please get a and a large price? And... It's that's, a, what, that's yeah, why it's you the, couldn't understand them. It's the New York City subway. <laughs> Stand so, clear the closing doors, please. So I, I think my take out from this from a visual effects point of view is that we think the visual effects are really good. We think some of the shots are looking like LED stages. And by the way, I would have loved to have had a whole discussion about that because. I have a whole opinion on what's happening with LED stages. Yeah, we'll same for the next film. Yeah, um, and so some very good work. It isn't TV agents of Shield. Uh, it's TV at a high level. In fact, uh, actually, I should say this: that there was a really good uh, variety. I think it was a roundtable with the actors, and they were talking about this. And some of the actors um, were, you know, when they were first approached for doing these TV shows, were like, "What? I've been sent to the." you know, salt, Siberian yeah. salt mines. Like this is like <laughs> a degradation. And they're like, no, 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 no. You know, trust me, it'd be really good. But, yeah, um, for sure. Uh, the funniest of being um, the guy who uh, plays uh, Vision. Um, what's his name? Uh, his name? Oh, Paul, Paul Bettany. Bettany. Yeah. Paul Bettany came into the session when they invited him in and was like, he was figuring they were going to say goodbye and thanks for the, all the, all the, you know, good times. <laughs> and so he's being British. He said he didn't want to, go in there and have them all like, you know, we're really sorry, but your character had to die. So he was like, look, before anyone says anything, I was just great. I really enjoyed it. Like, <laughs> what, you know, it was like, I was stunned at how big my first check was from the first film. And like I, working with you guys has been great. So like nobody say a word, it's fine. You don't have to know like, are you finished yet? And he's like, what? He's like, okay. Then we have a whole show to want to talk to you about. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, great. Yeah. Set the bar yeah, low. Okay, and then just, yeah, yeah you're, you're always surprised. Anyway, that that would be my my I hope my summary of your takeout. That and Matt is too weary for life to enjoy well, I life think, anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm too. <laughs> I'm I'm dying inside. But the uh, I do think that it's the effects and the overall production value, um, and I would argue even sort of the story and the content. It's 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 the same thing as the Mandalorian with different costumes and different characters, like, and in a different universe, but it's, it feels like it's of that Please same. Please don't tell me that you don't like the Mandalorian. No, I mean, I, it's fine. I guess I'm just saying it's of that same oeuvre, you know, like it's they, the they same have created kind a style. Of, 
Yeah, they, they've and, created and it, a style for sure. And it has it has a look and it has an aesthetic and it's consistent throughout that kind of uh pipeline. It feels like mm-hmm. it's it's the the things that are unique and different in them, I guess can be, you know, small parts of story and character or whatever, and or can be the design and execution of the visual effects within the context of these stories that really are fairly similar narrative structures, I think too. But but I think they have a look that's really similar. I would okay. I would agree hundred percent that there that Disney has created a a and I don't mean this to be uh, negative a mill. Yeah, it's of not sorts. derogatory. It's, like a, it's, it's a pipeline mill of hey, we know we can make content, and here's how we're going to do it, and and consistency is certainly not a, ne- a negative. Yeah. And the, I would say the fun thing in the Marvel films that is slightly, and, and in this show, that's a slight variant in WandaVision too, right? Is that they're goosing some of the traditional um, yeah. visual stylings with things like, you know, the Taika Watiti Ragnarok film and with... Um, you know, WandaVision and now this Loki kind of giving it this other veneer that has yeah. a kind of humor, a kind of more, maybe a kind of hipper style too. slightly. It's not, well, they're so certainly s- leaning into modern cinematography and like allowing the shows to feel like someone's shooting, like really shooting them. Like you yeah, could, they're lit, yeah. you could, they're lit. Well, they're, they're lit beautifully. <laughs> they're, they're composed you know, yeah. 99% of the time, great yeah. compositions, you know, and, and, you know, it, look, every show can't look like the handmaid's tale, but you can get close. You know what I mean? Like it's well, the I, handmaid's tale. I, you just shoot it with like a super fast lens and have the shallowest depth of field and every shot's a dramatic close up. That's all. Uh, that's it's all a gorgeous, need. it's a gorgeously <laughs> shot show, but, but anyway, I, I, from a, from a director's sometimes cinematographer standpoint, appreciate that they're letting the the teams really put the art and the work into the art and hiring like, you know, like Greg Frazier, uh, Autumn Duran, Arkapa, and, and I forget who shot WandaVision, but like, you know, these are like legit working DPs who don't well, the have whole, to do quote yeah. TV if they don't want to. They're and all working they're, hard to make it look good. And yeah, it does which look I appreciate. good. That yeah, they're that they're too. allowed to because you know that at a certain point someone does put the clamp down and goes ah sorry we got to get moving it's a higher product you're they're so, attain, they're attaining a much higher production value than yeah. like a 1980s kind of a team style yeah. TV show <laughs> or Friends yeah. so, or something so right? I'm gonna I'm gonna say this just proves that we should be doing the show more often and that I've missed you guys because we're <laughs> at an hour and a half practically, and we've got this fabulous discussion going, but we have to wrap it up because we can't yeah. have, you know, three hour shows, let's do it. but, but I will say this, like, let's loop back. I actually would really like to have a show where we just discuss led walls and stuff and didn't have a yeah. film to go on about because mm-hmm. uh, that seems to be a distraction <laughs> sometimes <laughs> the, the, uh, but the tech of that and the infrastructure and the, and the implications of that alone uh, are something that we should look back on. But for now, I'm going to say uh, we, we have run out of time by ages. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to the show. Thank you guys so much for co-hosting. Uh, Jason, do you want to uh, put a point up where people can touch uh, 
on your life story and your a touch point <laughs> on your creative genius? Oh, wow. Thanks. That was a really weird sentence there for a second. I was going to see where you're going to go with it, but uh, uh, yeah, just uh, Jason Diamond at all your favorite social media haunts, uh, the diamond bros, uh, com. It's our website. How is your brother? How, what are you guys you doing? Anything interesting? Like you know, he's good. Yeah. Interesting things. We, uh, we will, let's just say we'll be able to have some really interesting led conversations soon. Excellent. Matt, how are you? And where are you? Where's the oh, touch point for all things, yeah, Matt, all things me. Uh, you could check out my, my other show, 8111, the 8111 podcast. I've got uh, about, I think, 30 some odd episodes have been released, but I've had some really great guests recently. I mean, they've all been great in my opinion, but like Ellen Poon, the first uh, woman visual effects supervisor from ILM, Habib Zargapur, um, John Schlag, uh, producer Paul Hill and Rod Bogart was on uh, not that long ago and had some really super fun conversations um, with people about both their backgrounds, a little bit about, you know, some techie things, but it's really more kind of their journeys and their stories. And it's been really, really a lot of fun. And, um, I did just become the chair of my department at the school of the arts, and, oh, which is kind of fun. Yeah. I, I think that's congratulations. I'm not sure a book arrived in the mail, uh, and it was, uh, the essential chair desk reference book. And I was like, that's a lot of furniture. Yeah, and I thought when the, the book uh... arrived in the mail, I thought I've either made one of the worst mistakes of my life. <laughs> is the <laughs> like chair my position, timeline? Is the chair position in a fixed term or a long or ongoing? Like, I mean, we have we have our in our case we have like uh, rotating chairs. Is it yeah, a, it's a it's a three term year or? term, but it can be renewed thereafter. The one cool thing is after my three years. I get a, a semester where I can go and do whatever I want, cause trouble. Because which, SSPs, yeah. Yeah, which sounds Research great. semesters, they're awesome. But yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, obviously, I'm over at FX Guide. Um, we, uh, we've got two other shows already booked and lined up for you guys, so don't fear. We, um, we aren't going away. But we are happy to be back, and we thank you guys for listening, uh, as always. And... Um, uh, we're going to do uh, a new show and a retro show coming up. So we're going to look back at uh, some old stuff. But for now, that's it for this week and for this show. Thank you so much for listening and uh, see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.